Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. We have been looking at the, uh, the book of Acts, and we are on our penultimate message on the book of Acts. Penultimate means the second to last. Uh, so next week we will be finishing this up and then proceeding on to something else. But in this, this second to last sermon on, on Acts, we enter into a story, a dramatic story. I intimated uh, what it was in, with the children's message, that Paul is finally going to be headed towards Rome. He has wanted to preach to Rome. He's wanted to go to the churches in Rome, and, and he has found a way to get there. <laughs> It's maybe not the way he would have chosen to get there. He has been thrown in prison, and, but now he has an all-expense-paid trip to get to Rome by the, uh, the Roman government. Uh, as he's in jail and, and, and facing trial after trial and people asking him about his faith and the riots that he was beginning to commit, at least that was he, he was being accused of, he said, I've done nothing wrong. This is a place in front of the, the Roman government and not in front of the Jewish leaders. I appeal to Caesar. And the governor in that place in Caesarea, Caesarea said, all right, you've appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. And he is going to go on a trip. This is a wild ride. And uh, this is in chapter 27 of the book of Acts. And, and in this chapter, we're going to see him move from place to place. And, and Luke spends a lot of time on this. There's 55 verses that are talking about this one trip from Caesarea on the way to Rome. Uh, in comparison, sometimes he takes care of two years in one sentence. So there's something about this story, and probably has to do with the fact that Luke was likely on that. When we look at the text, we see that the word we is, is comes a part of the story again. And so Luke is on this trip, and he's like, I got to tell you about this story. This is, this is amazing what happens here. And, and then the question is, what is God doing there in their life? But also, what, is, what might God be saying to us as we look and engage with this story that Luke brings to us? Why does he give us this? Well, if you take your Bibles and, and turn to Acts 27, and what I have in front of, uh, in, on the screen there is, is a map of the journey that he makes. And so it starts on here in Caesarea. It's going to move up to Sidon and around the island of Cyprus to lands in Myra through uh, an area called Sinaitis and to Crete and then on the way to Malta and all the way up to, to, uh, to Italy there. That's the path, but how does he get there? Well, chapter 27, verse 1. When it was decided that we would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Andromiatum, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Aristarchus, a Macedonian from that Thessalonica, was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so they might provide for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, 
we landed at Myra in Lycia. We'll kind of have a little running commentary as we go through this. So it starts off fair enough. They get on a boat from in, in the city of Caesarea, and they move up 70 miles up the coast to a town called Sidon. Uh, Undoubtedly, to, to pick up other passengers there, there's going to be other prisoners that are on this ship as well. Julius, the centurion, he is the one overwatching this. And as they land in Sidon, uh, take on such different supplies, he allows Paul to go visit friends. Undoubtedly, part of the church that was developed there, we don't hear much about the church developing there. We hear some, some, some comments about it. Philip has had some ministry in this area of uh, the world, but we don't talk about much of it. Luke doesn't give us those insights. Luke is focusing on Peter and Paul and some of these other things, and we're left to, to interact with others as Paul does that. So, But what we see is Paul, in the midst of all these things, he's been two years in prison in Caesarea, and now on the road, he's got some needs that to be attended to. Uh, uh, food or care, or it doesn't tell us what, but it does tell us He's got friends. He's not alone in this. Uh, also with them is Aristarchus. We've seen Aristarchus earlier in the book of, of, of Acts. Uh, he has come from Thessalonica. He's been through with Paul through a lot of these things. And, and unnamed here, except for the use of the word we, is Luke, the doctor. And he is also joining and, and participating in this. So they move on. They, they get themselves to Maya, Myra, and uh, they're going to change ships a ship from Alexandria. And Alexandria uh, is down here in Egypt. Uh, Egypt uh, and Alexandria was a port where lots of grain would come out of it. The Roman Empire needed lots of grain for its people. And in different times of the year, to be able to provide grain to the people, they'd have to ship it. And about a third of the grain that they would get in Rome came from this area of the world. And so often there were ships that were filled with grain that they would be getting on. So that's where we continue to pick up the story here in verse 6. Um, Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy, Italy and put us on board. We made slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Sinaitis. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, we sailed to the lee of Crete, opposite Salmone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fair Havens, near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was after the fast. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete, facing both southwest and northwest. Right, so this next part of the journey, they, they, they move from Myra. They're trying to make their way. They're trying to get west. They're heading to get to Italy. Hopefully they want to be able to beat winter and get to, to Italy before that. But the winds start turning against them. And they, they, they kind of stall out in that area of islands near Sinaitis. And, and so they, they, they begin to push themselves south. And they head off to Crete. Uh, the Lee of Crete would be that area 
to the south side of Crete, which would protect it from the northern winds, which would have been buffeting them. And so they find themselves at a town called Lycia, also called by those people in an area called Fair Haven. It sounds like a nice place to be, Fair Havens. But as they're looking at it, they're thinking, what do we do next? Uh, the pilots, the, uh, the owner of the ship, they're talking about it. Hey, we don't know they're in a, a, a ship of grain yet. We'll discover that uh, a little bit down the line here. But that's what they're on. And they want to get this grain. The owner of the ship's like, we got to turn a profit on this. we got to get there. And, and this, this particular uh, area is not going to be okay. And, and Paul at this point says, hey, uh, this is not going to go well. <laughs> I, I can see that this we, we're already past the fast, which you may be like, what does that mean? Uh, the fast was, was the, the Feast of Yom Kippur. It would be the, this time of the year, uh, and on this date, it's probably October 5th in the year 59. Uh, and so after the fast, travel in the Mediterranean gets more and more difficult. Traveling in the winter... Is, is impossible. The, the shipping lanes get shut down because the winds are so unsteady and so difficult to work with that they stop it. And so they are facing difficult things. And Paul has been on these waters. Um, he has, uh, as he writes in, in 2 Corinthians, he's been shipwrecked three times. So he kind of knows the drill of being in ships and the things that you face. And, and so he's like, I can tell you, I can tell right now, this is not going to go well. We don't know why? It doesn't say that the Lord told him that. Maybe it's just his experience and knowing this time of the year, we're at this stage of the year, again, after the fast. And so this is not going to go well. Well, they decide to press on and, and uh, they're going to go to spend Phoenix in the winter. Well, some people on our island spend the winter in Phoenix. Uh, it's a nice place to go. Well, it's a different Phoenix, obviously. Phoenix here is is still on the island of Crete, and yet it's got some better harbor to, to rest in. The, the, the north winds would be protected from in fair havens, but in the winter, you get south winds that can really buff it and be a challenging place, and, and Phoenix was a little bit better. About 40 miles away, so 40 nautical miles, it would take them uh, the better part of a day to get there if everything went well, and and as they start off, um, it looks pretty good uh, until things change. Uh, and so continue on in verse 13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they thought they had obtained what they wanted. So they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cauda, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the seeing anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the storm continued, uh, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Well, after the men had gone up a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Ben, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you, would not have, then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you, 
to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. When about midnight, the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found it was 90 feet deep. Fearing they would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. The bow. Then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes and, and held that, that held the lifeboat and let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners and to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or on pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land in safety. Whew! That is uh, undoubtedly quite a a ride on the boat. I've never been on a ship that long. The longest I've been on is a six-hour trip We made from Fort Lauderdale to the Bahamas, nothing like that. We had an engine and everything, uh, no dependence upon sails or winds or anything. Uh, All the things that come to play in a sailing ship in the Mediterranean, and uh, they find themselves in danger. Uh, uh, Being driven away, they're concerned about being run aground. The the shoals of Sirtis, that'd be down in this area, past Cyrene, this is Africa here, is... I mean, it's not very far for them to, to be blown. And, and they had no idea which direction they were going. No sun, no stars to be able to guide by, no GPS system. How are they going to get through this? And uh, the nervousness that they had, it, it grows apparent. They're throwing cargo overboard. They're throwing tackle overboard. Anything they can do. Um, again, some of you have served in, in ships on the sea and undoubtedly have faced hard, difficult storms, and 
one of the things about having seasickness that I read is that you just don't want to eat anything. And for these 14 days, even seasoned sailors would have had hard difficulties with this. And then Paul gets this message. An angel of God, an angel of, of God whose I am and whom I serve has told me we're going to make this through. That I still am going to testify before Caesar and that each of us are going to make it. The only thing we're going to lose is this ship. And uh, we just need to be prepared to do that. And, and so they ate. Uh, he broke bread and, and gave thanks, undoubtedly with Aristarchus and Luke. And, and as they did that, the, their courage returned. Again, all the emotions undoubtedly going on. In verse 20, it said that we had all lost hope we would ever survive this. You can just see Luke's terror as he's going through this. Why did I get on this ship with him? But God's message comes, and daylight comes. They've been praying just to be able to see where they are going, and they see now a bay before them, and they're not sure where it is, but it's better than being on this ocean. And so uh, they break free from the, the anchors. They just chop them off. Uh, there's some studies that have been done that have found anchors in that area to the east of Malta that they think are, are very likely the four anchors that were chopped off of this boat. Uh, the, Luke's description of this, uh, many historians have looked at it. This is as good a journal as we can get in terms of accurately describing what's going on here. Well, they go to run aground on the beach and find a sandbar first, and, and so they've got to swim to shore. And you think, okay, what else can happen here? What a, what a trip this is. And now they're on some island, and there's 276 of them. 276. Can you imagine that many people all of a sudden showing up on our island? Now, the island of Malta, a little bit bigger than our island, it's 18 miles long and about 8 miles wide. So about 135, 145 square miles compared to our about 35. Can you imagine this many people to spend the winter there? Uh, what's going to happen? How are they going to survive? What's going to happen next? Which brings us to the first part of chapter 28. Once safely on shore we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for, nothing, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said, he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hand on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of, uh, rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So 
on some level, from the frying pan into the fire. For Paul, he gets out of the sea and then gets bitten by a viper, but uh, seemingly miraculously, he escapes death from that as well. And the people, it's like, oh, uh, justice. And uh, justice in my NIV is spelled with a capital J because for the people on the islands, they they looked at justice as as a force of 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 supernatural that somewhat kind of like a god or a semi-god that was pursuing him. If you've you've done something bad, you think you escaped. No way. The snake's going to get you. But then he survives. And they change their opinion and they they come to the the official's house. This would be part of the Roman Empire at this point. And so there would have been official. and, And they go to his home. And Paul finds his father there, prays for him. He's healed and and uh, brings about more healing that happens. And again, this is a very long story that, that Luke includes in his book right towards the end here. It's, a, it's an incredible journey. You can almost see his passion in having lived this out. Can you believe all this stuff happened? And, and yet, why does he include this? As he's included other things about church planning and, and some of the development of the church, what, is, what does he want us to get out of that? And and certainly central into this is, is how we look at Paul and what God has done in the life of Paul. This, remember, is Paul who at one point was so against the people of Jesus that he sought to imprison and even kill them. Stephen was killed and he was there approving of it. And, and how does he come to this place where he's so courageous and so faithful in, in walking with God? Well, that's the point. He's come to know God. That God has been showing himself in, in many ways. When Paul comes to faith after that walk on the road to Damascus, and Ananias is told, come welcome this guy. And Ananias is like, God, well, I know about this guy. This guy's no good. You don't want, you don't want him anywhere near your people. And, and, and God says to Ananias, no, he is my chosen instrument, and I've shown him how much he must suffer for my sake. Paul has learned some things over time. It's not because Paul was so great, but it was because God had been preparing and walking him through all kinds of things in life. We see that all through scripture, that God chooses people, not because they're great and fantastic, but because on some level, they can be changed and usable. There's this great description of Abraham in uh, in J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. And as he's describing the wisdom of God, he says, take instance the, the life of Abraham. Abraham was capable of repeated shabby deceptions, which actually endangered his wife's chastity. If you call from the book of Genesis, twice he went to a, a different city in the midst of a famine and said, oh yeah, this woman, she's my sister, so don't kill me because you think she's my wife. And, uh, and puts the relationship in danger twice. Uh, and, and Packer concludes, plainly then, he was by nature a man of little moral courage, altogether too anxious about his own personal security. Also, he was vulnerable to pressure at his wife's insistent He fathered a child upon her maid, Hagar, and when Sarai reacted to Hagar's pride in her pregnancy with hysterical recriminations, he let Sarai drive Hagar out of the house. Plainly then, Abraham was not by nature a man of strong principle, and his sense of responsibility was somewhat deficient. If you were a friend of Abraham, you might say, them's fighting words. 
How dare you talk about Father Abraham that way? But that's what he was. And the reason he became courageous, courageous and, and faithful and, and a man who God was able to use was because God changed him and God revealed himself to him. And the same thing in Paul's life. God did a work here as he's done for Paul. You see, it's God who does the work in us. Sometimes we think, I'm not good enough to get through this. I don't have what it takes. And God says, you're right, <laughs> but I am with you to walk you through whatever this is. And sometimes there's going to be storms. In the Gospels, there's a couple stories of Jesus where he comes upon a storm and he's sleeping in the back of the ship and, and his disciples are like, Jesus, what's with you? We're about to die here. Do you not even care about us? And and he gives them a look, and he calms the waves and the, and the winds and, and uh, blows their mind. It's like, who is this that even controls the waves and the wind? God can do that. God did that for uh, the boats in the book of Jonah. When Jonah, after having run away from God, he's, he gets himself in, in a storm, and, and the only way to solve their problem is for them to toss him off the, the ship. And they do, reluctantly, but they do. And as soon as he's off the ship, the waves are calm and the winds die down. God can do this. But he doesn't always, does he? Sometimes the storm comes in our life. Sometimes the hard thing happens and we go through it. And we wonder, God, are you there? Where are you in this? Why will you not let this up? I need help. And we walk through hard, difficult days. You've walked through those in your life. Maybe you're walking through them right now. You'll walk through them again. Where is God? Well, as Paul has discovered, God is there even in the midst of the storm, bringing him a message of courage for these particular sailors. And yet still, they, they've got to endure hard things. And one of the promises that God makes us is not that we'll escape every bad thing, but that he'll be present with us. And that he'll work even in the difficult things. I mentioned Stephen earlier. Stephen was a good, godly man, faithful, testified about Jesus. But he died. He was killed. And yet God uses that story even today to talk about his faithfulness, but also to talk about what God can continue to do even in the midst of adversity and opposition. We can still walk faithfully with God despite whatever storm we're going through. As we come to the end next week, we will see Paul finally arriving in Rome. And we'll end the book with, a little, with some questions even. Even as we have maybe questions about what to do with this story. What difference does it make? Well, God was there. And as Paul was able to faithfully to speak about God even in those times. As he was able to continue to be courageous because he knew God, 
so can we. You have a voice. And whatever circumstance you're in, you have a voice. People are watching you, and they listen to you. What is your voice and your action say about the God that you have faith in? Will you trust him, even in hard, hard things? Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord, I thank you for this amazing story and just all the dynamics that are there for uh, enduring and getting through. And, and uh, we're delighted that Paul was able to make it through and, and, and on to his destination to speak in Rome. But uh, Lord, sometimes very hard things happen and you know that. But Lord, we'd ask for your help. We ask for your spirit's help that as we walk through them, even today, we need you. We need your help. We need your presence. Lord, give us a faith that sees you in the middle of this. That we can see where you are. And in those times when we doubt, would you give us assurances of your presence and your love as we go through the hard things in our lives. Thank you for Jesus who went through exceptionally hard things on our behalf and the beating he took and the, and the crucifixion he endured and having faced that brought freedom to us. Lord, help us to remember his suffering even as we go through the elements of our day. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this day. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.